Welcome to Rescue Replay. My name is Kala and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode six. I'm so excited to be here. I can definitely see how getting to episode 20 in a podcast could become challenging for some podcasters. So thanks for continuing to be on this journey with me. Very happy that you're here with me. I think one of the challenges that I face the most with this podcast is internalizing that what we say matters, right? So we think about like, okay, so what we say matters. Well, in what context? Like what I say philosophically, what I say factually, what I say sarcastically. Well, it all matters. I like how Jordan Peterson puts it. I'm a big Jordan Peterson fan. If you haven't figured out, I I quote him a lot. I listen to a lot of his podcasts. I think he has a really interesting perspective because it's not it's not the normal narrative that you would hear so i find it really unique and interesting but i like what he says i think it's in one of his like music productions from akira the dawn and it's the song called clean up your room i think it's from that one i might be wrong but he says as ignorant as i am as biased as i am i'm gonna say exactly what i mean and suffer the consequences because you're you're going to suffer the consequence for everything that you do. So you might as well, you just have to choose what that is going to be. And I find with these podcasts, under, internalizing what I say matters is a little bit different because normally when I'm teaching or when I'm talking about all of this stuff, I'm in a, in a classroom. So I have the confines of four walls and I have students in front of me and I can tell based on their body language or their facial expressions that they're either really into the content or I'm losing their interest and then I can do a switch. So they're giving me all of these social cues to tell me which directions to go. I don't get that with this podcast. I have to assume that I know the what your body communications are and I just have to pretend like the direction is being told to me, even though I'm the one leading the whole direction. So the interaction part piece, I found very, it's very important in teaching, but I'm finding that with the podcast, I'm missing that aspect. One suggestion that my girlfriend says, she's like, well, talk to talk to your audience as if you are in the classroom. So I'm going to try and start adopting that because I think maybe before it was like I was talking myself and I kind of go off on these little rattles, these little rants. But let's see if I pretend like if in my mind I'm in a classroom setting with everybody in front of me or actually let's, I'm going to pretend like I'm in an amphitheater theater, and I have everybody sitting above me and I'm in, you know, in the center there talking to these giant crowds. That's where I'm going to go. Then you hear about that with people with stage fright. They're like, oh, imagine everybody in their underwear. You know, and I, I thought to myself, well, no, I'm a really good teacher. Like, I've been doing this for 10 years. Like, I'm practiced. I know how I want to present myself. But then you take away my audience and it's like, whoop. <laughs> you know, and now I have to feel that what I say matters with no social cues. It's very interesting, very interesting. A girlfriend of mine and and we were talking about the same thing. She was having a work struggle. It really applies to every aspect of your life, right? So not only like when you're teaching content, she was having a conflict with a coworker. And 
she was like, oh yeah, like I, I'm starting to feel like a little bit taken advantage of, a little bit walked on. And I was like, oh, well, you know, you could have that conversation with her. And she's like, yeah, but I feel bad because I want to be helpful and I want to be understanding of her situation, you know, and it's like, well, okay. So setting boundaries and believing that you're, you have that ground in your boundary when you're not used to setting boundaries like that, that is also a challenge. And that is also a way to practice internalizing what you say matters. So we have all of these ways. And in lifeguarding, what you say is very, very important. Communication is one of the pillars that lifeguarding is built on. With ineffective communication, things might not go very well or things might be misinterpreted and and we can't afford that when we're in the middle of a rescue, we know this. But do you wanna know where I see the most challenge for communication? It's not to talk to your other rescuers saying like, I need you to go call 911, get the AED and the first aid kit, or I've got them here, we're gonna remove on three, one, two, three. Like, that's not really where I see the struggle. Like, yes, they need to practice it. They're not experts at it. But where I see the struggle is talking to the public, right? Because when you're a lifeguard, you're 15, 16, well, you're 16 on deck, you could be 15 slide slide monitor. But talking to them saying like, excuse me, miss, like there, you actually can't wear your shoes on the pool deck. For a 16 year old that, you know, is just figuring their stuff out, that can be pretty intimidating. And furthermore, if you were the one that had to clear the pool, you have to be able to protect your voice. Like you can't just be like tweeting your, your whistle and just saying like, hey, everybody out, clear the pool. Like you have to use some force behind that. You have to really shout because also in pools, like pools are very loud environments. So you have to project your voice quite a lot in order for people to hear you from across the pool. I was doing a last day of an NL yesterday. So this is where we do all situations, mock rescues. And there is this one girl, she just laid in on her whistle. She's been in pools before. She's you can tell she's pretty comfortable in her own skin. And I loved how fearless she was with her whistle. And so when we're doing these mock rescues, we have to implement these guards. We put them into a pool that has public going on so that they get the idea of like scanning and and picking out uh, behaviors for the rescues. And we can talk about, you know, the, those more in detail later. So this was the first group that was going and it was a group of girls and one girl was really timid with her whistle in this group and this other girl, she was not timid at all. And they had to do a clear the pool and she just like laid on her whistle and shouted clear the pool. I swear everybody was convinced, even though she very much did not look like a lifeguard on duty, everybody was convinced. and. When she realized that every, when she blew her whistle, that everybody was to stop and look at her, her face just went cherry red. Uh, But she just kept walking through that. She kept saying, like, she did not, like, shy away. She was just like, okay, well, that just happened. She turned around, looked at me and called 911 and grabbed the AED and carried on. And I was like, that's impressive. You know, for, to be standing there in your embarrassment and, 
fully going forward, saying something that means something, clear the pool, and carrying on after the statement as if nothing, well, nothing did happen. You stated what you believed or what you said, and that was that. And I was like, that's amazing. That's an amazing quality. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if we could all encompass that and apply that to everywhere in our lives when it came to communicating our boundaries, when it came to communicating about our finances with our partner, when it came to communicating with our parents about things that maybe happened or didn't happen. You know, if we think about trauma healing too, a lot of times we think, oh, I don't want to burden them. And we talked a lot about this in episode four. We talked about the shared struggle and negative emotions and, oh, I don't want to burden them or, oh, that happened so long ago. Like, I don't want to hold a grudge. But in every aspect, what you have to say matters. If it's something that's festering on the inside of you, it's going to keep festering until you say it or express it in an appropriate way. In episode four, I talked a lot about anger and I was like, oh yeah, like people are like, oh, you're angry? Just change your mind, change your mind and change your life kind of thing. And it's like, well, how do I do that? And I talked about, well, you got to process your anger. It's like, well, how do I do that? Well, one thing that I really liked, so I have a really close relationship with anger. For a lot of my younger years, my first reaction, my natural response was anger. And I, like, if something didn't go my way, I just get angry about it. You know, and looking back, like my, you know, my siblings, my parents just, you know, might've thought that I was a spoiled brat or whatever. And it's like, well, I was trying to communicate things that I needed in the best way that I knew how. And it didn't always work, work out well for me. And then, you know, my response would be anger or upset or, you know, your tantrums when, when you're really young. And we forget that this is an emotional marker that something needs to be addressed. It's not a character trait. It's an emotional marker. So how do we process our anger? So the first thing that I had to learn how to do was to allow myself to sit in my anger, to be angry, to say, it's okay to be angry right now. And a lot of times, like on the inside, it would just like, I would boil so much that it would just come out in like all of these tears, right? It's like, okay, well, that's, that's a good appropriate expression of anger. The next thing that I learned, and this was later on in my adulthood, not while I was a kid. The next thing that I had learned that if you gave a face to your anger, like make it into a character, you know, maybe it's, or describe it in some way, put an object or a character or something visual to your anger. So for me, it was the, um, the villain in Spider-Man, Venom, that's what it felt like. And that's what I would see in my mind's eye. Now that we have a, some sort of an object there, now we can talk to it. Now we can ask, ask questions. Because if we remember it's an emotional marker of something that we're, we're not expressing or something that we're not noticing, 
we don't always have access to all of that information immediately anyways, because it's obviously slumbering in our subconscious somewhere or deep in our emotional body somewhere that we haven't noticed yet. Sometimes our conscious mind just misses those things. And sometimes we're, we're just not aware of them. So anger, you have your, your visual. So mine is venom. So venom would come and it's like, Oh, like, you know, then I would just ask it questions. Like, what would you like? If I was choosing ice cream flavors, I would say, what would you like? You get an answer very, very rapidly because that anger is coming from somewhere that is a, an emotional traumatic part of you in some sort. So some version of you wants that flavor of ice cream. And actually I, I got this idea from a therapist of mine. Like I didn't come up with this and I'm, again, let me just state for the record, I have no schooling. I never went to secondary school. I barely graduated high school. All of my podcast information that I'm talking about, everything that we go over is just all from my experience and all in my opinion and all from little things that I've gotten over the years. It's, there's nothing educated about my background or it's all, it's all street sense. So anyways, my therapist told me to start talking to my anger and asking what it wants. And it's crazy what actually happened because I had lived with this anger for so long, this like venom character for so long. And it just, he, they just started existing. And excuse me, I got a little tickle in my throat here. Let me just try and clear this out. So the, this piece of anger was just existing with me and it just was always there. And it's like, okay, well, that's a part of me. And then my therapist encouraged me to start talking to it. And that's when things started changing and I started not becoming angry. Anger became a later response, not an immediate response. And I found that very interesting and the, the question that helped me the most and in the method that helped me the most, it's very simple. You just sit on the edge of your bed or your couch. And Jordan Peterson also says this in one of his talks as well. You just sit on the edge of your bed and just ask, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Or what is it that I'm missing? What are you, if you talk to your anger, what are you trying to tell me that I'm not hearing? You know, when you ask these kind of questions, you'll get an answer very rapidly. It'll be almost instant. And you'll be like, no, I just made that up. And you know, your ego will come in and then you'll start overthinking everything. And it's like, no, just trust it. Just trust it. And really, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? So you said, what am I not giving you? You get an answer and you're like, okay, that's the answer. Let's go with that. And you start practicing that for a week you see some results and then mm, you see a little bit of a plateau and now it's not feeling so good. So you ask yourself the question again and you get a different answer. Now you start working on that. And then that times itself out. You ask the question again, the thing about growth and personal development is it's incremental and it's developmental. It's, it's evolutionary. 
So we often think like, oh, well, if I just have a positive mindset and if I just help people, well, that means I'm a good person. Well, yeah, it does. You are a good person and good job. But are you really like growing? Are you really seeding yourself? Are you really evolutionizing yourself in everything that you're going through? So if we go back to the statement of what you say matters, my so my girlfriend that was having the work problem, her mom, actually, she told me there's there was a few things that she said. She's no longer with us. But I think about her a lot. There was a few things that she said that really stood out to me. The one thing that she said was, what you say to other people is really what you're saying to yourself. And I started paying attention to that. And then if you think about well, what you say matters. It's like, well, yeah, because I'm talking to myself now. And I'm, if I use that as a tool and apply it to myself, like, well, now I become invincible. Now I become somebody that has real ground in this. Because you often hear of the saying too, like, oh yeah, like I'm, I give really good advice. I'm really good at helping my friends. And then you look at their lives and their lives are in shambles or they're, you know, they're good at giving dating advice, but their dating life is in shambles, you know? And it's like, okay, well, it's good to see. It's easy. It's easier to be the outside perspective looking in. It's not so easy being the inside perspective, trying to like heal and figure out where all your traumas are and poke and prod at all of your little wounds and such. So when my friend's mom said, what you say to others is, is, really what you're saying to yourself, I started paying attention to that. And where it really blossomed or where I really started gaining some good personal insight is through my teaching career. And I've said this often to my classes that they teach me way more than I teach them in an in a NL. And NL is 44 hours. It's one week. And during that week, I get way more insight about myself as a person than I, I give to them, I swear, like I give my students all of the credit. All I do when I'm teaching, a good teacher knows this too. Like, yes, you, you give them the content, you give them all the tips and tricks, but really all you're doing is you're opening a door and you're just saying like, hey, this is everything that is that you'll expect as you walk through this door. These are all of your options. Go and make choices and figure out what works for you and encouraging that discovery method. When I start teaching about the philosophy of lifeguarding, the philosophy of communication, the philosophy of awareness, the philosophy of body language, it depends on the things that I talk about or the way that I bring them up and the stories that come and that I tell. I always reflect like, okay, like, so I'm talking about this particular topic. I'm talking about, okay, I'll use us as an example. I'm talking about processing your anger as an example. So after this, this podcast, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen to this podcast. This is what I do. I, I actually don't really edit my episodes because I feel like if I started editing them, I would become one of those crazed editors and I would never release a, an episode. So there's a few things that I have left at which one, my girlfriend was like, oh, your long pauses get to be a lot, <laughs> which fair enough, fair enough. So I was, I was like, okay, well, I'll start editing those out at least so that there's not these like 10 second pauses like every 30 seconds kind of thing. Cause I know I realize that I can do that, 
So after this podcast, I'm going to sit down and while I'm listening to it, I'm going to start thinking like, okay, so I was talking about processing anger and talking to it. Well, you know, if I think about it, when was the last time I talked to my little venom guy? You know, we go, we ebb and flow and we know that. So maybe there's some like internal anger that's not showing up as, you know, a crazy monstrous head that maybe I haven't really acknowledged, you know, so, and maybe not, maybe I'm just talking about this because that's exactly what I wrote down in my podcast planning and maybe I'm all good and I'm in the clear, but I always think it's really important to know like what we talk about, our connections are meaningful. What we say matters. So if we're saying it to somebody else, like, man, why wouldn't we say it to ourselves? You know, and there was that thing on that video on Instagram that was on the TikTok reels that was kind of viral. And it was like, if I asked you to list all of the things that you love, how long would it take you to list yourself? You know, or there's the other one, like if I, if somebody else talked to me, excuse me, if somebody else talked to me the way that I talked to myself, there's no way I would hang out with that person. So it kind of falls in line with all of those philosophies. And I think what we say to others and how we project ourselves or our opinions or what we think to others, I definitely think it's worth the inner reflection. Absolutely. And we can translate this into our rescue lives as well and into lifeguarding. It's very common. We'll perform in a rescue. Then during our debrief, we'll we'll cut down all of those steps. We will pick out all of the nitty gritty details and be like, you know, I should have done this or uh, I guess like, you know, it was probably like maybe if I had done it this way or it probably should have been this way or like, yeah, like I, I kind of, I messed up on that, you know, like when it, the first time I did CPR, I totally, totally shit the bed. I left my, all of my equipment behind me. Like, Totally. So absolutely. We, we pick through these things and we learn, right? It's all about learning and growing. And also in the first episode, I also really like to talk about failure, you know, our, and our idea of failure, our idea of failure and our, our idea of success, like are completely in society's eyes different than what I believe that they really are. Like, we need to start becoming friends with failure and we need to start use making success the byproduct and not the focus you know and i actually we're going to talk about that in in greater detail in a couple episodes from now because i think that that especially with our industry with rescuing each other and there's always something to learn from our rescues from our interactions And this brings me to one of my favorite quotes of all time. If you've ever, and the, I actually, The Peaceful Warrior, it's a book by Dan Millman, I believe. Man, I should have quoted that. See, The Peaceful Warrior. And I got this book originally, I think it was for a birthday of mine. Maybe it was like an 18th birthday. My, a really good friend of mine, she lives back home where I was raised. And we met actually at my very first aquatic job. So you remember how I said in episode one, if you haven't listened to episode one, you, it's it's there, you can go and listen to it. But in episode one, I, I did my NL, I brought my resume in on the last day of my NL and I got hired right away and I was working within the next week. So 
at that pool, this lady was a receptionist and her and I became friends and we've, we've stayed friends ever since. And she shows up in the most humbling ways. Like when I, when I originally moved to Smithers and I was having a going away party, she came and you know, she, she always celebrates me and I, I was always great. I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. She gave me this book called The Peaceful Warrior. And I read it when I was really young and I, I didn't really drink it in. I'm not really a big reader. School was never my thing. So reading is something that I have to consistently work on. Like I'm trying to get into the habit of reading every day right now. And I do have to like work on it. I am not an avid reader naturally. So I read the book and I didn't really drink it in the way that it probably was meant. I watched the movie, however. The movie did not do the book justice, not at all, as they never do. But there is this one saying in that book or in the movie, they're in both, that is my absolute favorite. And it really has opened up a different way to view the world for me. And it goes like this. There are no ordinary moments. There is never nothing going on. And I just think, wow, if we take life moment by moment and we really encompass that, life becomes pretty amazing. And our failures become less daunting and success becomes already as is and not this thing that we have to achieve. So every morning I wake up, the very first thing I do is I feed, I have a dog, his name is Zeppelin. The very first thing I do is I feed Zeppelin his breakfast and then we get ready and we go for a walk and we have this park that we go and walk to and it's the same park we take different routes every time you know we walk around the opposite way this way we go down that path and then we come up the other path kind of thing but every time we walk in the exact same park it's always a different experience flowers are different, the weather is different, the trees are different, the birds are different. And it's just such a grounding way to start your day. I don't take my phone with me either. I had one friend, he was like, you should always take your phone with you living in East Vancouver. It's a safety thing. And it's like, well, sometimes I just like to have a little peace all to myself. And I think early in the morning, around 6am, I think I'm entitled to that. Sometimes I regret not having my phone because I would take, like, I like taking photos and then it's good social media content, honestly. But I love that that park, I get to just drink it in and stop and smell the flowers. I'll leave you with that for today. Thanks for joining us. Next episode, we're going to talk in more detail about failure and success and what it looks like through my eyes. Thanks again for being here with us today. This is Rescue Replay, out.